Hello, you're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR Radio Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters, we bring you environment and social justice stories. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. Hello and welcome to Earth Matters. This week on the program we welcome you to part two of our yarn on keeping bees in a natural environment with program guest Adrian Iodice from Beekeeping Naturally. Coming up in this program you'll hear how keeping bees in a natural environment can be positive for you at home. Plus you'll hear how to make deadly honey from your hive. We find out what you need to do to keep bees in a rural or an urban setting. And you'll hear about one man and his naked beekeeping success. Uh, I get a feeling of acceptance inside the hive that um, that this creature that I'm that I'm working with has completely accepted me and and wants to work with me and and every part of that organism is telling me to to love it and to love, believe it or not, uh, and and when I walk away from working with that hive, I feel feel really really open my you know my heart singing and and uh, and then I can put that out to the world really so I really recommend beekeeping to a lot of people because it it opens them right up and um, and, and they, they, they then perpetuate that love out to the world is, is, is exactly what we need to be doing so it's a, it's a beautiful beautiful um, moment to be able to approach a bee colony and and look inside a bee colony, which I don't like doing often, but when I do, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different world. It's, it's a beautiful place. Let's talk about someone approaching a hive for the very first time. Do most people get nervous? Yeah, there, there is a, a big sense of nervousness. Um, and, and what I do recommend, and, and I, when I teach my courses, I, I tell people that you know when you're starting out with bees, I actually tell people to to wear you know a veil at least, just to give them that confidence they need to build in themselves, so they then can start working with bees. Uh, often beginners are nervous and they they make crude mistakes where they may drop a comb, for instance, or crush a bee. And once you crush a bee or drop a comb, it then triggers a, a defence mechanism in the bees and. It may, may, you know, and they may, they may attack. They may uh, sting that person, and then that person gets a, a bad, bad feeling, and uh, and doesn't necessarily, you know, feel comfortable beekeeping anymore. So I, I encourage beginners, especially, to feel safe first, uh, put the armor on first, and then when they they learn how to work with bees comfortably, uh, securely, then slowly strip away that armour and and eventually, um, you know, eventually you, you'll be able to do it naked, <laughs> as uh, a good friend of mine does. So, Robin Is that does. right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, taking natural beekeeping to the next level, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely to the next level, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he often visits, he lives here on the property and he often visits my hive uh, naked and uh, not 
not because he's trying to make a, a joke of it, but he gets into a real trance when he he meditates for a good 20 minutes in front of the hive and, and really pictures himself inside the hive and uh, and then and then and then approaches them with nothing on. Again, no armor, no no clothing, no defense mechanism. And he's able to meet them naked as they are naked. Naked beekeeping, yeah. <laughs> of course, my next question is going to be this fellow who lives on your property. Uh, does he get stung, of course, while uh, beekeeping whilst naked is the question. <laughs> well, my truth, he hasn't been stung yet, naked beekeeping. That's incredible. You heard it here really, first on Earth Matters. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? Well, he's never been stung naked beekeeping. Yeah. And that, and that shows, the, um, shows the respect he has for them and the respect they have for him at that, at that time. I think it really shows a lot when we talk about wearing wearing a bee suit and then wearing nothing, you know, it totally shows a big difference. I mean, commercial beekeepers, they're working uh, 1,000 hives, uh, 150 hives, 200 beehives. They don't have time to sit there and meditate for 20 minutes in front of each beehive, you know. No. So, so they, they, you know, they need to wear their gear and their smoker and they need to get in and out of their hives to pay their mortgage. Uh, so there's a, there's a difference, you know. I'm, I'm just talking about you have the time eventually you, you too can can do it that way uh, and and that's why we teach natural beekeeping at a domestic level not a commercial level uh, in, in in my courses of course there are some commercial natural beekeepers uh, there's one really really good one here in Australia called Tim Malfroyd uh, he produces honey called Malfroyd's gold teaches out of the Blue Mountains and uh, he, he introduced natural beekeeping into Australia so he's a bit of a bit of a legend in the natural beekeeping scene here in Australia. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he treats his bees very, very kindly as well. So very different approach, absolutely. Let's talk about the honey that you produce with your hives. Um, what type of honey is it and honeycomb? Well, the, the honey that uh, I usually get here is a mixture of different types of honey and it depends on what time time of year the bees are harvesting honey around our property um, just at the moment we're harvesting blue box um, which is prolific around the forest and on my property and um, it's an absolute beautiful very floral scented honey uh, very light and uh, it's probably one of my favorite honeys to be honest with you but it only comes around every four or five years so it's one of those special treats that we're getting at the moment. Um, all honeys are different, and it really depends on what the bees are foraging on. Um, so I really believe um, the way we harvest our honey is by crushing the honeycomb. So we, we cut the honeycomb out, and we crush it through a, a press, like a, a grape press, you know, when they make wine, those big crushing barrels. Well, we use, we use one of them, but not so big. And um, we crush the honey out of the honeycomb and into a sieve. And, and we don't filter it. We just run it through a, a standard size sieve that I would use in the kitchen. And it's full of pollen and it's full of, full of uh, all the goodness. It, it's cold crushed as well, so it doesn't heat. We don't heat the honey. Uh, it's full of beautiful, beautiful uh, pollens and all sorts of healing properties that come with the pollen, of course, and they come with the, with the honey themselves itself and um, 
And also I believe that by crushing the honey, we're giving it a little bit of the flavour from the honeycomb itself. So the, the wax kind of gets into the honey and it, it tastes really buttery. It has this really buttery aftertaste. And um, don't get that with spun honey, honey that's put through a centrifugal extractor, for instance. Uh, that's a conventional commercial way, by spinning the honey out of the honeycomb and then putting the honeycomb back into the hive. Uh, we don't do that. We, we crush it. Let them build new honeycomb again and, and refresh the, the hive that way by building new comb all the time. It's a way of controlling disease as well by culling out old brood comb, uh, constantly culling it out, and uh, that way disease doesn't build up inside the hive and it keeps them healthier. Yeah. What about the use of honey for medicinal purposes, Adrian? Mm. Um, well, originally... We're talking many years ago when the Egyptians were around. <laughs> well, the pharaohs were, were given the honey, you see, and, and uh, the aristocrats, and um, honey was used for medicine, medicinal purposes only. Very rarely used as a food source. Um, so today, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of honey being sold very, very cheaply um, by the honey packers in Australia and all over the world. Um, but We've got some of the best honey here in Australia, probably some of the cleanest honey in the world because we don't have the mites here, we don't have uh, varroa mites, so we're not using miticides and antibiotics in our hives. So some of the cleanest honey is coming out of Australia, yet our packers are selling it for a fortune overseas and importing a whole lot of rubbish from other countries uh, that are producing it really cheaply, uh, importing it here and mixing it with... 10%, 20% of Australian honey and, uh, and, and selling it to us consumers off the supermarket shelf. Unfortunately, we've, most people forget what real honey tastes like. So when they get those squeeze bottles, uh, they taste that and they think that's honey. But if you compare that to honey that, that you pull out of one of my hives or, or, one of, or a hive out of uh, your local beekeeper down the road who's got 100 beehives or less, then that's real honey. You'll taste real honey there. Such a, such a huge, huge difference. So I think if the honey packers paid our commercial beekeepers more money for, for their efforts and for the bees' efforts, because it takes a lot of work to get a teaspoon of honey from 12 bees, a lifetime of, lifetime of work, for 12 bees to get a teaspoon of honey. Think about that. So, so we need to bring back the fact that honey should be used as a, as a gift or as a medicinal product and, and not so much just spread it all over your toast sort of thing, willy-nilly, five bucks a, a jar sort of thing. How did you know I'd do that? <laughs> <laughs> I do it too. <laughs> I do it too. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but, you know, we need to sort of respect that. I have it in bulk. I have it on, on tap. You know, I have it sitting there. And um, How much honey do you actually have in stock at your home? I imagine you would have a lot of honey, mate. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I, I don't have a lot of honey. Um, I have honey. I do have it. I don't... No, no, I'm not joking about that. But I don't have barrels and barrels of honey. Um, sometimes I have a lot and sometimes I have none. Uh, last year, we didn't get any honey out of our hives. Uh, because the the season wasn't wasn't right, you know, the the flowers didn't didn't uh, burst and, and they didn't produce enough nectar, so so the bees didn't get 
didn't get that honey, they got enough for themselves. So what the important thing is, again, in natural beekeeping, is we leave enough honey for the bees until we know there's an excess of honey that we can harvest for ourselves. It's, it's a gift, really, it's rather than a, uh, something that we expect to, to take every year. So we, we leave enough honey, and, and last year I left, I left them honey to get them through, through winter because they need that food source to get them through winter. And luckily, luckily enough, they, they had enough there to get them through winter, and then this spring they've produced excess honey, so we've been taking a little bit of honey already off, uh, out of some of the hives, not all of the hives, and I'm hoping by the end of uh, maybe January we'd probably be able to get a lot more honey at this rate. It looks like it's looking that way. And we'll always leave enough, uh, maybe about 16 kilos, inside the hive for them to get through winter. So it's a, it's a really important um, beekeeping practice to, to leave them honey because that's what they eat. That's why they store it. They store it for themselves to get them through winter, through times of dearth when there's nothing flowering. They need the honey. So, so we, uh, we leave enough for them to get them through rather than feeding them sugar syrup. A lot of commercial beekeepers do. You're listening to Earth Matters and broadcast on the Community Radio Network with me, Kerry Lee Harding. And our guest today, Adrian Iodice from Beekeeping Naturally, and we're talking about keeping bees in a natural environment and what you need to know if you want to start keeping bees at home, whether you're living in the city or in regional Australia. Have you noticed at all, Adrian, climate change having an impact on bees in Australia? Um, yeah, look, I think it does because of those really, really, really hot, dry mornings uh, in summer. When there's, when there's something flowering, a eucalypt, for instance, flowering and producing nectar, then all of a sudden that nectar evaporates really quickly and, and the bees don't have time to get enough of it. So, yes, I, I've seen a huge impact on, on honey production over the last few years. And if you, if you talk to a lot of the commercial guys... And women, they'll tell you the same thing. A lot of over the last ten years or so, there's been a, a huge decline in, in in honey production in Australia. Some years are really good, don't get me wrong, but a lot less good years than there are bad years. So that's what's going on at the moment. Yeah, and I, I believe it's got a lot to do with the, the extra temperature, the extra hot hot days we're having here, we're experiencing in Australia. How do we as Australian beekeepers compared to those from around the rest of the world with our practices and techniques with uh, beekeeping naturally? Well, there is only a small movement in Australia which is growing uh, and it's growing all over the world at the moment but we seem to be a few years behind regarding natural beekeeping. It's, it's interesting to see what's going on overseas. I'm, I'm quite regularly in touch with, with a lot of beekeepers overseas and um, have good relations with them. Um, and what's happening overseas is um, a, a huge movement towards natural beekeeping. Even commercial beekeepers are moving towards what's called treatment-free beekeeping, where they're not treating their, their hives with miticides or antibiotics or, or, other, or other nasties. Um, and I think we're, we're, we're following behind 
quite closely on I'm trying to keep up with what's going on overseas and teach that here, of course. So I have a, I have a bit of a following myself. So with me and Tim Malfroy and uh, also Happy, there's a there's a natural beekeeping club in Melbourne who are teaching. There's um, the Bee Sanctuary in Castlemaine Facebook group. There's uh, Simon Mulvaney from Save the Bees. All these Australian people are, are doing really wonderful stuff here. Um, so we, we are catching up to to what's happening overseas because you know we have access to the internet these days. It's, it's instant instant information, and we're not we're not falling behind three years like we used to. <laughs> so we're able to catch up quite quickly. And I'm wondering, Adrian, uh, to be a beekeeper, is it very expensive in terms of setup costs when I first start? If you're serious about beekeeping um, and you you want to get started into either natural or conventional style, the, the, the cost difference are, are, are really, really different. Um, conventional beekeeping is a commercial style approach, so all the equipment you need to manage that type of beehive is very expensive. An extractor, for instance, a, a hot knife, uh, the tools go on and on and on, a whole big list of tools, very expensive hobby actually to get started with. Natural beekeeping brings us back to very basic tools. Uh, and that's building a beehive yourself. There are many, many plans online. I actually offer free plans on my website. If you send me an email, I'm happy to email you a set of plans uh, to build your own beehive. But you can get lots of different plans online for natural beekeeping types of for natural bee beehives. Um, and um, it, it's not expensive. I mean, I use a, an old fishing knife as my hive tool, a, a stiff-bladed fishing knife, which I paid $5 for from, from a fishing shop years ago. I use, uh, I use uh, you know, scrapers that I get from the op shop, you know, for 50 cents and, and bits and pieces like that, whereas those specific tools that I need to manage my conventional Langstroth hives, commercial-style hives, I really need to pay $30, $40 for each tool. So it, it does make a huge difference uh, mm. when, it, when, when you look at it. Yeah. Of course, if you do beekeeping naked, then you don't have any of those costs for um, <laughs> clothing, do you? Which is uh, pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I just wanted to ask you about a quote that Albert Einstein has uh, previously said about the last uh, bee disappearing. Um, is it true that if... Uh, the bee disappeared off the face of the earth that we as uh, humans would only have about four years to live. Is that right? To be honest with you, I've never, fa I've never ever found that he's actually said that. Mm. I've looked and looked and looked. Is that right? Um, there, there's another man that's supposed to have said that. I forget his name. But um, let's not worry about who said it. Let's think about the reality of that. Now, yeah. bees pollinate flowers. We know that. Flowers can't make love by ripping themselves out of the ground and hugging the other flower across the paddock. So they need bees as messengers of love to pollinate the other flower. Now, if we don't have honeybees, those flowers can't have pollination. Now, it's not just for the food we eat. Think about every plant out there, well, most plants out there, sorry, not every. Grass plants use wind pollination. But a lot of plant species have evolved over 100 million years alongside bees to use bees to pollinate them, to, to, to fertilise them, them themselves and each other. So by losing the bee, we're not just going to see our food source go, we're also going to see 
a lot of other plant species dying and just disappearing off the face of the earth. Imagine all the insects and all the birds and all the other animals that live in those trees and in those plants that will feel the same catastrophic uh, response to, to, to losing bees. It'll be, it'll be absolutely incredible. Um, I don't know how long it will take, but it wouldn't be long before we, we really start seeing uh, some major issues. So I think that's why governments today uh, are really taking notice of, of bee, bee uh, losses all over the world, not just because of uh, an industry that depends on it, I mean, there's billions of dollars, of course, at stake here. Uh, you think about all the fruit and vegetables that people need. But, um, but also because we, we're really going to see forests disappear, literally, and uh, uh, it's going to be a scary time if that happens. So we really need to do something about it, and, and that's why the natural beekeeping movement is really important. And rather than start taking, taking, taking from the bees, we need to start giving, giving, and giving back, giving mm. them healthy environments to live in, healthy beehives to live in, non-intrusive management techniques, and definitely treatment-free beekeeping. There's a massive movement for treatment-free beekeeping around the world, and mm. we really need to, uh, to address that. Mm. I think we've got a unique situation here in Australia where, where we're not treating our bees with miticides and antibiotics yet. And um, mm. if we can follow what's going on overseas, when that varroa mite gets here, because it will come, it's in New Zealand and it's in Papua New Guinea, but when it arrives here on our shores, then rather than treating with miticides, we need to take a different approach. Rather than treating like everyone else did 30 years ago and failed, and we need to take a different approach. We've got a, such a unique opportunity here, and I wish the government would, would take it on and the BPI would take it on and say, yep, we're not going to go down that road because it didn't work in America, it didn't work in England, still not working in Europe, let's try this treatment-free beekeeping. They're getting a lot of success. You know, there's people like Heidi Herman, Gareth John at the Natural Beekeeping Trust, Professor Thomas Seeley, an entomologist, a biologist, a neurologist, teaches at Cornell University in the United States. He's talking about Darwinian beekeeping, treatment-free. Dr. David Heath in England, the bee-friendly beekeeper, the author of The Bee-Friendly Beekeeper, treatment-free. Michael Teal, Gaia Bee Sanctuary in America, treatment-free. Les Crowder, American commercial beekeeper, treatment-free. Tim Malfoy here in Australia, treatment-free. We need to start looking at these doctors and professors and people that are doing it successfully overseas and, and follow their footsteps, you know. Um, that's how we're going to save the bee here in Australia and that will resonate all around the world. And we'll be able to show the world that we actually have done it without using miticides, without supporting these massive, massive chemical companies that are producing these chemicals and trying to get us to use them. Adrian, I'm wondering, do you have any advice for anybody who may be thinking about taking up beekeeping in the future? Yeah, definitely. Uh, study and learn as much as you can before you get yourself some bees. Really get out there. Get online. There's so much information out there. Go down the natural beekeeping path. I mean, join a club, definitely join a club, and ask the club if they haven't already got a natural beekeeping group because most clubs today have natural beekeeping groups in, formed inside the club that are using natural beekeeping methods. Get involved in that and support that method 
and you'll see the difference very quickly from uh, conventional beekeeping, which is based on commercial practices and natural beekeeping. And, and usually most people who are wanting to get into bees as a hobby would rather go down the natural, natural side because they actually are more interested in the bees and not so much honey. So that's my advice. But definitely learn as much as you can before, um, before getting yourself bees. It's very, very important to, to learn before you get your bees. That's my advice. been listening to Earth Matters and broadcast on the Community Radio Network with me, Carolee Harding. And today on the program, you've been listening to part two on beekeeping in a natural environment with our guest, Adrian Iodice from Beekeeping Naturally. And if you want more information or want to get in touch with our Earth Matters program guest, Adrian Iodice, you can contact him by following the website links at www.beekeepingnaturally.com.au. To hear this program and others from our Earth Matters team, the various podcasts can be downloaded from our 3CR community radio website at 3crearthmatters.org.au. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Victoria, on the lands of the Wurundjeri and is broadcast nationally on community radio stations around the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Federation for their generous financial support. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page, Earth Matters 3CR Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter, EarthMRadio. Well, that's all for today, folks. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to the program and thanks for your company this week and the Earth Matters team. We'll be back again next week with more Deadly Green social justice news from all over this awesome planet. I'm Kerry Lee Harding. I'll see you next time.